Hi, I'm Don Mackey, and welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to Pathways to Rural Prosperity. I'm Shelley Cash, business specialist and ecosystem builder for Kansas Main Street, and I will be your host today. I am joined by Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, hosted by Network Kansas. Don has worked in the field of community economic development throughout North America for over 40 years, and I believe you've just had like a 20th or 21st anniversary with E2 themselves. So also with the deepening focus on entrepreneur-led economic development. Hello, Mr. Mackey. Hi, Don. Yes. Happy New Year to you, Shelly. It's glad to reconnect and I look forward to our podcasts in 2022. Absolutely. I need to look at all the future ones that I keep seeing and I'm like, I've got to get to that. So today we are talking about commuter-led entrepreneurial development. So first question, In previous podcasts, we've talked about E2's likely entrepreneur development opportunities. And in this edition of Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast, we're exploring commuter-led entrepreneurial development. And what I've learned, I know from papers that I've seen of E2, there's close to 50% of commuters that work in one city, but live in another, right? So... I suppose we're at that, you know, maybe some of our audience may wonder how commuters can be a development opportunity. So first share what E2 means by quote unquote commuters. And second, if you could give us some insights on why commuters are so important to rural community economic development today. Well, Shelley, and this topic may throw people a curve going Gosh, how are commuters an economic development strategy? But I think a little deeper look, and I'll explain why. But first, let's kind of share for our listeners a little bit about what we mean by commuters. A couple of ways to look at commuting. One is physical commuting, which is the way we used to do it. To your point, you know, we live in one community, but we travel down the road to another community. A great example Mm -hmm. in your part of the world is Wamigo. Wamigo is Uh, a bedroom community (laughs) in a lot of ways to the Little Apple, Manhattan up the road where Kansas State University is. And a lot of people travel to work at the university and other businesses in a larger community down the road. Increasingly, though, we have what we call electronic commuting. And back in October, John Aduin was my guest, and we talked about distributed teams, which gets to electronic commuting. And of course, with the pandemic, we've seen a lot more of that with the stay-at-home orders, you know, people figuring out how to create an office at their dining room table (laughs) as they educate their kids at home. But every indication is electronic community is going to increase, particularly with those that are part of the knowledge economy where they can work from one location for an employer and, you know, maybe that employer's in New York City and they are at Lake McConaughey near Ogallala, Nebraska, where I grew up as a kid because it's a great place to live, but they can do their work using the internet and remote technologies. 
And we're also seeing what we would call hybrid commuting. And that's really common right now where businesses and government agencies are trying to reduce the density in their offices because of COVID and saying, you know, you can work two, three days a week at home and then come into the office for a couple of days a week to create that interaction. And so we're seeing more and more of that. One final piece, not to get too techy, but we want to think about what we call outbound and inbound commuters. Outbound commuters are folks who live in your community and they work outside of your community, either by driving down the road or getting on the internet. And inbound commuters are really important to our workforce. These are people who may live outside of our community and they come into our community to work, either again, physically or using technology. And so, really big, important part of our economy. And consequently, there's entrepreneurial development opportunities, Shelley. Absolutely. So it's interesting when you say getting people back into the office, you know, on certain days and things like that. I had looked this up, gosh, in the last five, six months, and and I read it as collective effervescence, you know, being able to have those brainstormings and, and be able to have that connectivity for sure. So Okay, so when I think about development opportunities rooted with commuters, as you've mentioned, you know, entrepreneurial talent and things like that, I mean, hometown development, what are some other development opportunities embedded with commuters? So based on our research, there's five basic reasons why communities should care about this. The first is, Commuters are an economic driver, and let me illustrate this by taking our listeners to Dawes County. Now, most people aren't familiar with Dawes County in Nebraska, but it's where Shadron is, and Shadron's home to Shadron State College. It's adjacent to the South Dakota Black Hills. Very rural by any standard, and when we look at Dawes County, the third largest source of household income are commuters people who live in Dawes County, but travel outside of Dawes County. In many cases, they're going all the way up to Rapid City, which is a large community just across the border in South Dakota. But for this community, it generates nearly $32 million of household earnings. So it's a driver. Yes, for sure. Because of course, those commuters then come home and they shop and they spend money in the community. The second is commuters can diversify our economy. And as you and I have talked, that's really important. The more diverse the economy, the more resilient it is, the higher the value it has. And so if we think about somebody who's maybe one of those distributed workers, they're living in, you know, Shadron, but they actually have a business relationship with a firm down in Denver And they're bringing a paycheck into the community, but they're diversifying the economy because they're connected to an industry, to a sector that is not necessarily foundational to the Shadron economy. So the more people that are doing this kind of work, it can really diversify the economy, particularly if we think about the fastest growing part of our economy right now is the knowledge economy. People who work on a computer use remote technology like video conferencing. Like we do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, it's become so much more common. I mean, that's one of the 
if there is such a thing as silver linings with the pandemic. It's made (laughs) us kind of tired of things like Zoom and video conferencing, but we've also got just so much more used to it where it's second nature, and that's important. The third, and this is a huge entrepreneurial tie, is it's a source of entrepreneurial talent. There's kind of a life cycle, particularly with physical commuters, but also with what we're finding with digital commuters. And that is, you know, early in your career, maybe you're a diesel mechanic and you live in a community, but you travel 30 miles up the road to work at a truck stop on the interstate. And you do that, you learn the trade of being a diesel mechanic, you acquire knowledge and skills, and maybe four or five years into that commuting, you go, you know, I'm not able to go to my kids' ball games. I'm not there for the play. I'm not there when a parent gets sick because I'm down the road. And so for a lot of folks who are particularly doing physical commuting, they kind of get tired of that. And we're also seeing evidence of that with digital commuting. And they go, okay, I now have skills. I maybe have some money. My community needs a diesel mechanic shop. And so I'm going to buy one or start one. And so as folks get off the road, whether that's the digital road or the physical road, they start and buy businesses or they become key employees for other businesses. Obviously, this can contribute to hometown development. We've got a lot of communities where a lot of people live in that rural community because it has a great school, a quality of life that people want, but they go up the road to work for another employee. But of course, they generate housing demand, school demand, healthcare demand in that local community. And then finally, we just got to recognize that these municipal and county boundaries, while important, are kind of meaningless from a socioeconomic standpoint. Our economies and societies are regional, and it's to the point you made earlier. We may live in one community, work in another. We may go, our favorite restaurant may be in a third community. We may go to a state park that's even further down the road in another community. And so understanding regionalism, commuters are really a reflection of that. They certainly are. And I mean, we've, we've seen it. I know over the years, I've done my share of commuting here and there in various different states, and it does look different everywhere. But it is interesting when you had mentioned about trying to gather those numbers, right? And being able to, because it does look different for communities that are, if I'm working here, but I'm working, you know, out of Lawrence, Kansas, but I'm actually, my employer is out of California, you know, Esri has specific data, but then there's Placer AI that has other data that actually follows around more real time in time. So it's interesting to see how some of this is going to grow a little more. So How about if you go deeper into how commuters can help rural employers solve workforce shortages that we now experience? Yeah, it's a huge issue. Almost every community where we have discussions, they're struggling with workforce and trying to figure out why there's a shortage. And part of it is in the United States, we're a maturing economy, we're aging. We simply are producing less people, and and our economy continues to grow at a pretty good clip. And I've always shared the story here in my home state of Nebraska that for every available worker, we have three job openings. And, you know, it's a huge issue. And so the way commuters can really help is, number one, if you're in the knowledge economy and you're looking for a bookkeeper, 
that bookkeeper may be the next state over. Somebody who's working from home wants flexibility. And of course, when I was with the Center for Rural Entrepreneurship, our accountant and bookkeeper, Monica Warner, wanted to be active in raising her kids, wanted flexibility, came into the office on occasion, but most of the time worked remotely from another community, worked great. We were able to fill that need by reaching beyond the community to find somebody. So for a lot of folks who say, gosh, I need somebody in accounting, I need somebody in marketing, maybe I even need a technician to support my computer systems, that worker may not be in your community. It may be somebody in your area or even outside of your area. So really understanding how you can connect to that. I think the second thing is, if you kind of take advantage of that broader pool of folks who are in your area, it simply gives you a bigger workforce environment that you can draw from. And maybe you can find that worker who lives an hour away, works in your production facility or in your retail store. But at some point, if you help them find housing and a way to come into your community, they become a new resident of your community. And so we tend to put that ad in the local newspaper or on the radio station and we go, gosh, we don't have any applicants. Well, we've got to think more expansively and more creatively, particularly with digital workers, but also in our part of the country and throughout most of rural America, people don't think twice about driving 30, 40, even an hour to a job if it's a good job. And if they like the community, at some point they may move there, which adds another resident to your hometown. Right, right. Yeah, and I think traditionally it is going to look completely different and has been looking different. I think it's just a matter of doing that mind shift of making sure that people do think of having a broader pool, like you said, a job applicant pool to be able to fish out of, I guess. So... I'm curious, share a bit more on why commuters at some point become candidates to start, acquire, or grow a local venture. Yeah, and I touched on it a little bit earlier in response to one of your questions, but I think this is really important. We tend to have a life stage process. You know, we're kids, we go to school, we acquire education, maybe we get a degree at a university or a technical skill at a vocational school. But we're still pretty green. We haven't had a lot of experience and we may not have a lot of confidence. And this is particularly true in rural places where people have not been around entrepreneurs. And so this idea of starting and owning a business is pretty scary. It's a lot safer to go work for somebody else and get that regular paycheck and those benefits. But as people acquire skills and other life interests come in, the need to be close to a grandparent that you're you're taking care of. And so you need to slip away from work periodically to take them to that medical appointment or what have you. People begin to think about being in business for themselves because one of the attributes, even though it's a hard job, is you have more flexibility if you're the boss and you can begin to address other needs. And I mentioned, you know, the ability to actually live and work in the same community, which means You can slip away at two o'clock to go to that Thanksgiving pageant at your local school that your fifth grader is part of. If you're down the road or if you're working for somebody else, you may not have that flexibility. So 
I think the key here is we know that as folks kind of get into that first 10 years of their working career, they are prime candidates for becoming entrepreneurs, either buying a business or starting a business. They have skills, they have money, they have motivation. Now, this is where the entrepreneurial ecosystem, Shelley, is so important is are we paying attention to those folks? Are we talking to those folks? Because they may be scared to death of taking that plunge from a regular job with a defined the salary security. and benefits exactly right. to saying, oh, I'm going to become the boss. And as much as I may gripe about my boss, becoming the boss is a scary transition. But if you have a supportive environment, maybe a mentor who can help this person get comfortable that, yeah, hiring employees is scary, but it's doable. That if you're not comfortable with your bookkeeping and maybe your taxes and handling, you know, HR, there's people in the community that have those skills that you can engage that can really help you with those things. And what that does is it increases the pool of what we call aspiring to actual entrepreneurs. You know, somebody's been thinking about it, but they just can't make that transition because it's too scary. But if there's a supportive environment, somebody you can talk to, some resources that can help you and realize I can do this. And that may be somebody who's a bit older than them, who's made that transition, who takes the time over coffee or a beer to simply talk to them regularly, to help them formulate a plan, become comfortable that they can do this and make that transition. Because part of what they may do is they may continue to work for that truck stop and they may take over a local diesel mechanic shop where the owner is aging, wants to get out. They start to run it part-time, get their feet under them, and at some point say, I can sever that tie with the regular paycheck because now I'm comfortable in the new world. I'm convinced that unless we pay attention to these commuters and where they're at in their life stage and reach out to them and talk to them, we're going to miss opportunities for folks who think about doing this but never do it, and that's a missed opportunity for our communities. Definitely. I agree. And yes, we do have to pay attention to them because I think just being able to hear, you know, what are your goals? What are your dreams? And, you know, the mentorship is just a huge, huge impactful value to anybody that's looking to do that. I mean, even if you don't have anybody locally, and I get it because you've got people that are like, I don't even know where to start. And you've got score chapters, the service core of retired executives, right? Mm-hmm. That right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that are, are all across the United States to be able to help in that, in that transition for them too. So yeah, because sometimes they're just like, I don't want somebody to think that I'm a competition for them, but I'm like, eh, competition's not that bad. And it might light a fire under somebody else's patootie. So, <laughs> you know, but yes. So talk more about this rising tide of distributed workers and what it means for rural communities. Well, I think the first thing is this is not a flash in the pan. It's not just a pandemic thing. The rise of distributed workers has been at work for a long time, and it really connects to the rise of the internet and remote technology, the ability to do a job from one location but actually be employed. And there's actually two types of distributed workers. And before I go there, John O'Doone would 
tell me, Don, you got to quit using remote workers because remote workers suggest a second class of workership that people who are actually on site are better workers than remote workers. And so that's why the, the word distributed that carries less bias. And so we're trying to get that into our terminology because we think it's important because there is a bias oftentimes by employers and bosses. And so think about First of all, we know that this is a rising tide. We know more and more people are doing this. We know that the pandemic with work at home orders has really driven us. And we know that the technology has gotten better and better. I mean, I think about, you know, we tend to use Zoom, but there's multiple platforms, so I'm not marketing Zoom, but Zoom has become much more intuitive, much more reliable, much better technology. Why? Because more and more people are using it and they've been able to invest. And the same is true with the Microsoft platforms, the Google platforms, all the other technology. So it's made it much easier. And of course, we've become much more versant and our bosses and employers have become more comfortable with this. They're not there yet. A lot of them still feel like, I I wanna be able to look into your cubicle and see that you're there. But they're realizing in this tight labor market that if they can find somebody who's really good at what they do and they want to live on a farm in western South Dakota near the Black Hills, well, maybe I should explore that worker because they can meet my my skill sets where maybe I can't find that kind of motivated worker. And a great example of this was ConAgra. You know, ConAgra is a Fortune 500 corporation has a lot of food brands, and they have their customer lines. So if you're wanting to get a recipe or you have a question about one of their products, who's gonna answer that phone? And they were having a hard time in the large labor market of Omaha to find people to staff their consumer lines. So they pivoted and said, you know, in this region, we have lots of stay-at-home folks who have the technology, have the skill set, and want to have a great job. And so they distributed their entire workforce that supports all of their consumer lines. So chances are when you call somebody or call ConAgra to talk about their soups or you know their prepackaged meats or what have you, you're going to get somebody in Calendra, Iowa or in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, or some other rural community because they've been able to build a very substantial and robust workforce. What that means is somebody in that rural community has a job with benefits, is connected to another part of the economy, so we're getting all those benefits we talked about before. Now, what we don't know is how many people in rural communities are actually doing this. What's interesting though, is with our more recent conversations with communities where we do that development opportunity profile and identifies these opportunities and typically commuters are in the top five, the question will come up, well, what about these remote workers or these distributed workers? And we start talking about it. And before long, they go, yeah, this person's doing that. This person's come to town and is doing that. And they begin to realize that it's more common than they think. In time, the Census Bureau, the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis, ESRI, other data sources, I think are going to get much better at actually quantifying how many people are making their living through remote work. Or, conversely, they're reaching new markets by using this technology. For example, me. You know, 
I live at home, I work at home, and I work with people all over North America using this kind of technology, many of whom I've never met in person, but I feel like over 10 years I've gotten to know them, their families, etc. It opens up a whole set of opportunities. The requirement is your community has to have above average and robust broadband capabilities, otherwise none of this works. Right, which is certainly certainly what we all look forward to and having, you know, having that we get asked that all the time. It's like, and I'm in Kansas, right? So, and you're in Nebraska and we do pretty darn good having this broadband thing working for us. So I appreciate you very, very much. And thank you so much for being my guest today. So why don't you share how our listeners can learn a little bit more about the commuter-led development? You bet. Shelly. So first of all, as part of this podcast, Anne will be sharing with you what we call our commuter-led development strategy guide. This is part of this collection of strategies, and this is really practical, hands-on, how to, how can your community begin to really capitalize on commuters as a development strategy and grow your entrepreneurial talent at the same time. So we'll be making that available. Of course, we've already released this, but we'll reshare our likely entrepreneurial development opportunities paper that talks about all 10 of these strategy areas. And of course, you and I through 2022 will be talking more about specific strategies like we did today. Some general resources, of course, your go-to resource is energizingentrepreneurs.org. That's our website. Check out the theme pages that Anne's put together. So if you're looking for specific information, let's say on tourism-led development, it's organized around these development themes kind of tied to questions. Um, So there's a whole set of free resources on our website. Of course, you can join our National Practitioners Network and access all of our how-to tools free of charge. There's our monthly newsletter, and that's where, of course, Shelley, we share our latest information that we've collected or generated. And then, of course, there's information about our twice-monthly podcasts that we offer as well. So those are some resources that are available that can help you build a stronger rural community. Get all this free stuff going on. You're just throwing stuff out there left and right. So it has been great to have you as the guest today and all of our best to you, your efforts and everything that you do to grow a stronger rural America, one community at a time. Thank you so much, Don. You bet. Take care, Shelley. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast.